Welcome to another episode of Rockstar Violinist, the podcast from Electric Violin Shop. I'm Matt Bell. You are listening to a master at work. Amanda Marks, stage name Violin Girl, is an expert at reading a crowd, feeling an energy, and then driving that energy wherever she wants it to go. In the world of trance and house music, the mood is king. You can capture a crowd or lose one by making good or bad decisions. Amanda's ability to read, react, and control has taken her all over the world, from the Northern Lights Festival in Alaska to Burning Man in Nevada to an upcoming tour in Europe, Africa, and Australia. Right now, you're listening to a track from Amanda and her DJ partner, Michael Scalar. Collectively, they're known as MSVG, and this track is called Jazzba Master. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Dodario and Kodabo. Dodario is the top manufacturer of quality strings, and Kodabo is the most respected brand in carbon fiber bows. We'll talk more about them later in the interview, but their support helps keep this podcast coming your way twice a month. This is the only interview we've had to do by Skype. Amanda and I were supposed to meet up in Los Angeles earlier this year, and circumstances prevented that from happening. I really wanted to chat with her, though, so we made it work. So if it sounds like we're not in the same room, we're not. So anyway, sit back and relax and enjoy our chat with Amanda Marks, rock star violinist. You started playing, like most people, I think, who play on a professional level, you started pretty young. Yes, definitely. Um, I did start playing young. My parents basically wanted me to get into an instrument. They thought it was a good skill for a child to have, you know, it builds the creativity and all that kind of stuff. So when I was two, they decided on violin. I didn't decide I had nothing to do with it. They, you know, I was too young to say no. I had no idea. <laughs> You know what violin was so i started when i was two i was in the suzuki method which if um the viewers or any of the other people that were interviewed were involved in the suzuki method you probably know that it's very kind of ear based they teach ear training they kind of develop your ear as, as much as you could teach something like that definitely emphasize that over just traditional music theory like pounded into you so basically i developed a really good ear <laughs> and an ability to improv. I actually remember one of my first recitals, I was probably like less than 10 years old, probably like eight. And I actually didn't know the difficult parts of the piece I was supposed to be playing. So I was like the day of the recital, like I still didn't know it. <laughs> this is the first time I can remember really having that skill to just kind of play, like improv, do whatever. I got up there, I played the piece. I. I made up my own difficult parts and no one had any idea. I was like, that's really cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that was like the first time I think I remember being able to have a kind of a skill that was really unique in the world of classical music. And obviously teachers hated that. My parents hated that because I never really wanted to practice the classical music. I never really kind of got super passionate about it. I felt like I would rather play the songs I like, do covers, come up with cool versions of my favorite songs, or even just make stuff up rather than kind of playing what was written on sheet music. 
So you knew really young that you, you weren't going to be uh, the next Isaac Perlman. <laughs> That's like a very distinct memory. And then I remember, you know, growing up, I could just hear, hey, this is my favorite song. That's like a pop song or a rock song or whatever. And I would, or actually, I was really into Broadway show tunes when I was a little mm. kid. So I just, you know, this is my favorite song. I'm going to try to play it. Oh, yeah, cool. I can play it. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know that was something like really unique until people started telling me like, you know, not ever could do stuff like that. So that's awesome. Yeah. So, at what age did you discover that you wanted to sort of figure out how to plug this violin into something? You needed to be louder than just the people in the room could hear you. So basically, that started when I went to First Friday, and that's like an arts fair downtown. They have musicians. This was when I was sixteen. Actually, maybe even fifteen, fifteen or sixteen, actually. And I had all these friends that were artists. They wanted to try to sell art. They just set up something on the sidewalk. You know, it's very kind of casual and fun. And they wanted me to play music to try to kind of attract people to come by their art. So I had my regular acoustic violin. I had some songs that I prepared. So I started playing kind of cover songs. And these organizers came up and actually told me, hey, you can't play here. You know, we don't want music in this area. And I was really offended. Yeah. <laughs> so I took my violin and I went to a different area that was really bustling. It was like the street lined with, you know, different artists and tables and boots. And I just kind of dropped my case and put it out on the sidewalk in my busking hose. And I started playing. I played for like two hours. I made like over $200, which Woo. I was really excited about. <laughs> As like a 15-year-old kid, I was really excited. So I realized, you know, hey, this is this is really fun. I had like the best night ever. I talked to all these different cool people. People were offering me like different music opportunities. Plus that feeling of having random people that you don't know come up and connect with you and you can connect with them just through playing music. That was like the absolute coolest feeling ever to me. So I decided, you know, if I want to do stuff like this, you know, I could expand beyond just the traditional acoustic violin. I could look into options of amplification. So actually, my mom got me one of those street cube amps for my birthday. Yeah, and right now. what I did starting out was I actually clipped like this is the violin. You clip like the little mic like a mic bridge it was really ramshackle (laughs) but I clipped like a mic to the bridge and I plugged that into the amp so then I was playing electrically right not (laughs) so then obviously electric violins are really expensive I actually through playing on the street and busking I made the money to actually buy a real electric violin which was awesome yeah so then when I was like 18, I got my first electric violin. Yeah, I think it was 18. So then after that, I kind of developed further into going into the real world of playing electric violin. Yeah, so you remember what kind of violin that was? Yeah, it's the same one I use right now. I have it right here. So this is my violin. I use a bridge. Yep. This is actually my secondary one. My first one, same exact design. It's red and black kind of cool like modeling yeah and then I actually had a big festival gig when I was like 
I think 19 or 20, I was about to go to a big festival and this violin I just showed you broke. So I was freaking out yeah. and I went down to the electric violin place and of course they knew me pretty well. They let me borrow this green one, I had to sign all kinds of releases of all sorts of crazy stuff, but they let me borrow it festival and save my life. And I actually like this. I mean, I know it's the same violin. Every violin has a different sound, even with electric ones. Yeah. This has kind of a different sound from the red one. I really loved it, so I bought this one too. So now I have two of these same model bridge electric violins, and I have my normal acoustic ones. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there there is something. I've had, I'm a Viper player, and I've had four of them. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and it's all the same pickup, it's the same manufacturer, yes. but each one is just, I mean, there's certain little personality differences yeah, in each one. It's, yeah, I, I find, like, they're totally different, and I know it's the same exact model, but I've tried, I mean, when I was looking for my first one, I tried Yamaha. I know people are really into Yamaha. Mm-hmm. I just personally didn't like it. I really like the feel of this. It's really similar to a normal acoustic violin. Like, it doesn't have... You know, the Yamaha has that kind of carbon fiber, like, shape on the side. This is literally exactly like a normal violin, and it feels really good to me. That's just my personal preference, though. Right. Well, you know, um, that's that's why they make a bunch of different kinds of violins, because yeah. everybody's going to want something different. Yeah. So then then you discovered sort of, I guess you were doing some, some street playing and some busking. When did you get into doing what you're doing now? So I was still doing street playing. Um, basically when I was 18, I was still doing the street performing. I did it first Friday, but that's, you know, about the time I was about to go to college. So I actually went to EDC. If you're familiar with EDC, it's the super giant music festival that they have in Las Vegas, which is where I'm from. So I went to EDC and I've never been to a music festival, like especially electronic music. And I had been into electronic music, but had never seen it kind of live and I know a lot of people who are into live music say that it's just not the same as live music. But when you go to a music festival, especially first time ever, it was this great feeling of everyone's coming together in one place to kind of celebrate this music that they're really, really into. And I just felt this amazing energy from like all the people that were there that totally made me fall in love with it and fall in love with the people and the passion that the people had for electronic music. And at one of the stages on the main stage, I saw there was a DJ who's playing his tracks and they brought out this live singer to sing on the track that she had you know, worked on with this producer. So she was singing live. That was like this life-changing moment that made me think, I do something like this that's live can I combine this with electronic music without even having to be a DJ or having to be kind of in that world? Can I do live music and have it coalesce with electronic music? So that was really just totally inspirational for me. So then I actually, I got into Cornell, which you guys know is probably a really prestigious school. Yeah. So I actually went there. I was there for about a week. (laughs) (laughs) I, I was, you know, all people that are 18, I think, have this feeling of I'm going to college, like, what do I want to do? Most people have no idea what they want to do. But I've been having these thoughts of, like, can I do this music stuff? But, you know, you don't know, you don't want to 
dedicate your entire life, you know, to pursue music. It's like, you know, you think people don't actually do that. But when I was at Cornell, I just kept feeling like, you know, this isn't really the lifestyle that I want. I don't want to waste, you know, money at kind of pursuing a degree when I don't know if I even want to do anything academic with my life. So I decided to pull out and I wanted to pursue music and see, you know, can I do this? And then if I can't, I felt like there's always time to get your education. There might not be time to pursue this. Like, can I really start pursuing this down the line when I'm like 30 or, you know, I want to try and see if I can do it or else I'll regret it. So the way I started was I moved back to Vegas. I started doing full-time busking on the strip. And I did that for about a year, like every single day, which was probably the toughest gig of my life. (laughs) And then I met a lot of different contacts. I met the guy that gave me my first festival gig, who just busking on the street. And that's kind of how I developed into the world of actually playing with DJs rather than just playing kind of by myself with backing tracks and playing, you know, actual gigs. Right. Awesome. So, so you're in a group now. Tell us about what you're what you're doing now. So I play. Um, I play. I would say probably about fifty percent of the gigs myself with just random DJs. Sometimes I meet DJs literally like five minutes before I play with them. I've right. never met them. I've never played with them. I've never heard the music. But I think that's really cool about you know, kind of having the improv skills and playing by ear skills that I have is that I can just jump in with someone. I don't have to practice. I don't have to rehearse. I can just play. And I love that because I feel like it's so organic and it creates some really special kind of collaborations just first time, like right off the bat. Right. So I play about 50% of gigs. Um, Either I do still play some by myself just with backing tracks, usually for like professional events, but more in the music scene, it's uh, either Violin Girl, which is me playing with any DJ that I decide to play with, or I also have a duo called MSVG, and that's me and my regular DJ partner, and his name is Michael Scaler. I'm Violin Girl, so it's MSVG. Oh, yeah. So we work as a DJ violin duo, like doing regular gigs, and if people specifically want you know, a DJ playing with me, then I'll bring him to the gigs. Awesome. Now you've done some pretty big stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I've done, um, I think I've been lucky enough to just make some really great connections and play some really cool events. So the first festival I ever played, which actually stems from street performing. So what happened is I was playing on the strip on the street, normal night, this guy walks up to me and he lost his friends somewhere, you know, partying on a strip. He got lost. So he comes up to me and he's like, oh, well, I'm going to hang out with, you know, by you <laughs> until I can find my friends. I'm like, okay, you know, regular night, just another weird guy on a strip, you know. Right. Lots of like, weird people roaming around. So then he's hanging out and he's like, hey, I have this music festival. Like, you should come play. You know, I run it. It's really cool. I was like, no, you don't. I don't believe you. Like, that's. Oh, total lie. <laughs> he was like, no, I really do. Add me on Facebook, like all this stuff. So I added him on Facebook after he left and he actually was part of a music festival. Super crazy coincidence. Yeah. 
So it's this really cool festival. That was actually their first ever year they were doing it. It's up in Humboldt County, which is in Northern California, which is a really nice, beautiful area. And I went there that first year. So it was the first year of the festival, the first year of me playing, which is cool. And it was one of those where I met the DJ five minutes before I played, no idea of music. Just, and this is my first festival gig with a DJ, like, ever. So it was pretty nerve-wracking. Yeah. But people really liked it. Everyone was really into it. So I've been playing that festival. This coming year will actually be the fifth year, both for me and the festival. So I've played there every year since then, and it's just grown to, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, last year was the biggest year yet. I think they... I want to say they probably have like 10,000 people now growing from like 2,000. Yeah. So it's a really yeah. cool experience for anyone that's up in Northern California. You should definitely check it out. It's really fun. Um, What's that so festival that. called? This is called Northern Nights Music Festival. And it's in the middle of July up in Humboldt, which is like two or three hours away from San Francisco up north. Yeah. So you so, go ahead. No, you go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> um, so you've done Burning Man too, right? Yes, that was that actually came after, um, and everything kind of stemmed, you know, from each other, which is really cool. Um, Burning Man stemmed from this guy, my friend that works with Northern Knights, put me together with a DJ for the second year, more in advance, so we could plan it out. But he set me up with another DJ who then invited me to come play with him at Burning Man. And this was also when I was, like, I think 20. Yeah, 20, I did Burning Man for the first time. And that was, like, the most unbelievable, eye-opening, like, life-changing experience. I played two different gigs with this DJ, and one was at Sunrise, you know, the middle of the desert, People just coming up and dancing. It's this kind of really cool, mystical effect with the sun, like, rising over the mountains. And it was, like, a really amazing experience. And I absolutely loved bringing that. It was a great time. The first year, I went totally by myself. Then I went back the second year, and I went totally by myself. <laughs> and then this year, the past year I just played there, it was the biggest year yet. It was really incredible. I went with my DJ partner, so we did... 12 different gigs there as MSVG. Wow. We played 12 times <laughs> on some incredible stages. They have art cars, which are basically like these elaborate parade floats, like on trucks and cars that are like roaming through the desert with these giant sound systems. It's really cool. So we played all those different sets. We actually played during Burn Night, which is when it's the final night when a man burns they set it on fire they have this big fire ceremony with dancers and all the cars come out like everyone is there it's like a hundred thousand people all you know together so we played on one of these art cars during the main night burn to like thousands of people and we actually played a trance set which was really fun because that genre is something that's kind of been like fading into the background a little bit i think with some of the other electronic genres kind of coming, you know, more into the mainstream. So we played like an old school, original style trance set. It was really epic. 
and that was probably the highlight of Burning Man this year. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so we've actually had a hard time getting this interview scheduled because you've been flying all over the world and doing stuff. You were yep. just in South America. I was. And I think when I was in Los Angeles, we, we sort of just missed each other by just a couple hours. Yeah, I was in, where was I? I can't even remember where I was, which is kind of scary. <laughs> um, where was I? I was in San Francisco. Yes, that's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just missed you. Um, I had a last-minute corporate gig in San Francisco I flew up to do. Yeah, I was just in South America. Before that, actually about six months ago, I was in South America. Again, I played in Peru, which is really fun. It was in Lima. And I've just been traveling all over. Oh, I played in Costa Rica in December with MSVG with uh, Michael, my DJ partner. That was really fun. Um, we were actually, as a duo, about to head to San Francisco again to play a big corporate event. And then we were heading to Hawaii for like two weeks playing a bunch of shows, that should be fun. Where else? Oh, I just scheduled Mexico. Um, yeah, so a lot of things coming up. Also, uh, Northern Nights will probably be on the horizon soon, coming this summer, of course, Burning Man. I actually just confirmed I will be returning to play. My residency is at Dre's Beach Club here in Las Vegas, for any local Las Vegas people. Yeah. We do um, a party during the week. It's called Dre's Paradise, where they bring in a lot of really great house music, new disco, kind of an Ibiza-style music lineup, and they have a pool party. It's really fun. It's me playing. They bring in a lot of other live instrumentalists, and it's really great. So that's every Tuesday, and I believe Wednesdays and Thursdays. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at Dre's Beach Club in Vegas. So that will be confirmed for the whole summer. And, yeah, just a lot of great things to look forward to that are coming up. Yeah. So I think for some of our listeners who are maybe new to um, the whole EDM thing, um, when you're when you're practicing, because you're primarily a, um, I mean, you're an improv musician, that's your thing. So mm-hmm. what does your practice life look like? Instead of sitting at home with sheet music and working on Paganini or Bach or Mozart, what's your practice life look like? Um, a lot of times my practice is gigs. I mean, (laughs) I think every gig is kind of, you know, practice session to try new things, you know, just try to be kind of the best just on your game. I feel like, you know, gigs are practice for me, honestly. Also, um, a lot of times we'll, Michael and I will record DJ slash violin sets to either put out on our own SoundCloud or to send to other, you know, podcast radio shows. We'll do like hour long, two hour long sets. That's a great practice. A lot of times we actually put those on live Facebook feed to feel like we have a real time audience. So it's kind of that performance factor, which really comes into play with what I do because I feel like I get most energy from kind of the people watching. It's like that crowd energy and that really fuels a lot of my you know, performance. So that's a big deal for me too. The live video is a new tool that really helps with that. So that's pretty cool. Um, I will also do a lot of times just on my own, a lot of times private clients like for weddings, corporate gigs, you know, private events like that, they'll request. It's like a special thing that I offer is, Hey, do you want to walk down the aisle to this specific song? Well, 
let me know and I'll record it for you, you know, within a day or two days and get it back to you to see, you know, exactly how you want that song to sound for your wedding. So, you know, if people send over a specific song, I'll just make sure I know it, run through it, practice it. That's like a more normal practice session. Then I'll do a little rough draft recording on, you know, my personal at home like recording system and I'll just send it to them so they can see kind of what the exact music will sound for their wedding or their private. Oh, awesome. We talked in the intro about our sponsors. I want to give you some news about Cotabo right now. Cotabo is the most respected name in carbon fiber bows, and especially in the more modern music genres where instruments and bows are at far greater risk than in any classical concert hall. I can't imagine playing with a wood stick. It's not uncommon in my world to be transporting my instrument in an air-conditioned vehicle for several hours at 70 degrees, and then suddenly be outside in the sun with temperatures over 100 degrees and high humidity. A wood stick simply isn't going to react well to that. My Cotabo always feels the same regardless of temperature, and I don't have to worry about breaking it. There are a wide variety of Cotabos with a wide variety of feels. From the Luma, which is lightweight and lightning fast, to the Jewel with its incredible grip, which is awesome for extended range playing, to the new Marquee, which is ridiculously smooth, there's a Cotabo for everyone. Check them out at Cotabo.com or order from electricviolinshop.com. Now enjoy another track from MSVG, and we'll get right back to the interview with Amanda Marks, rock star violinist. So maybe this is something that not all of our listeners are familiar with is what you do. I think, you know, so many of our listeners are used to school orchestra music or they're, you know, maybe even as far out as like a David Garrett or a Mark Wood, who's a, who's a rock or, or heavy metal guy. Tell people maybe more about what exactly it is that you do. Cool. So specifically what I do is usually you'll have a DJ at a club, a festival, an event who's mixing their tracks. Um, so basically what I do is I come in and I improvise over those tracks. I add melody parts, I add harmony parts, I just add whatever sounds good to me in the moment. And I kind of flow with the DJs mixing, you know, you have to be conscious of kind of when they're going to the next track. There's like different little elements you have to be conscious of. It's really kind of a flow, like play it by ear, feel kind of thing. So that's specifically what I do. I specialize in house music, deep house, progressive house, tech house, a little bit of techno. I really like trance, even though it's 
Uh, it's not played out a ton, but we do that as well. Um, I'll do other styles. Those are the ones kind of the most like familiar with that I play the most often. Um, I'm also, you know, I've done rock, I've done pop, I do pretty much anything, but my specialty is this, we call it live electronica with the, the live electric violin. Okay, so are, are you using a lot of effects with this or is it pretty much just a clean violin tone? I like it to sound like a violin. I think, you know, if I wanted it to sound like something else that I would be playing, you know, something else. Oh, sorry, my cat just jumped over here. <laughs> <laughs> start that over. So I pretty much like the violin to sound like a violin. I do add a little bit of effects. I usually add reverb, um, echo, delay is a big one, but you know, just kind of subtle to kind of round out the sound and just make it a little bit more clean and processed and it helps it blend with the electronic sounds a bit more to give it that kind of clean edge um, I don't really like to use anything crazy like you guys might use in rock violin because I like to sound like a violin, but that's just my personal preference, you know. So obviously with recording, actually everything I've recorded, um, they've kept that clean violin sound. I think a lot of people really like it, but, you know, with recording, we can pitch down and you can throw any effects on it in Ableton and production, like anything. So that's a bit more free, but usually when I play, I have... Um, I have a limiter, which really helps to kind of smooth the sounds because a lot of times, um, she wants all the attention. So I use the limiter because a lot of times I'm playing on big sound systems like TurboSound, Function One, and the guys that are usually operating the sound for those are really, really picky about it. They want to be perfect as it should. So a lot of times live music can create screechiness or feedback or it gets super loud or you know anything so the limiter helps me stay within a specific range it kind of rounds out the sound makes it more clean helps it blend it just keeps it from kind of pitching and uh the frequency is getting too high so i use that i use a tc helicon the voice processor with effects which is really awesome i love that super easy to use I actually just bought a couple new pedals. Have it, um, still have to play with those. It's just like simple echo, delay, reverb stuff. But that's, um, yeah, the, the setup I usually use is limiter and effects processor. Awesome. Um, for people who don't know, because they're, this is sort of, this is a, you play in a segment that's not frequently accessed by string players. So a lot of our listeners may not know. But, but when you talk about a DJ playing tracks, we're not talking about a guy who's got an iPod and he's hitting play. This is an yeah. active, creative process. So, yeah. so maybe explain a little bit more about what these DJs are doing. Okay, so I know a lot of people go to, you know, you might go to a club and the DJ's just kind of got his hands up, like, you know, whatever. Um, a lot of DJs I know have gotten a bad reputation for just doing a pre-recorded set, just pressing play, whatever, maybe doing a couple little EQs, and we'll, but they're not really DJing. That's not what I do. If anyone I played with did that, I would be <laughs> really disappointed. Um, everyone I work with, you know, it's not vinyl. Like, that's a bit more old school. Some people still play it. Um, but what I do is they'll have a lot of tracks on a USB, you know, hundreds of tracks, and... They're using CDJs, which are basically like computerized uh, 
turntables. So they're using CDJs. They're actively beat matching like two tracks together. They're actively mixing two, even three, four songs together at a given time to create a seamless set. Like unless you're familiar with electronic music, a lot of times when you're listening to a good DJ, you won't even notice where the song ends and the other one begins. And that's something I had to develop because I couldn't even notice. Now I can tell, but it's, it's a really fine-tuned skill. It's a really cool thing that a lot of these DJs do. And so that's what they're doing. They add different effects. Um, they're adding, like, different EQs, sometimes, like, different little samples. So it's a totally active process of DJing. And then I come in and add the live element. So it's really like a live collaboration between two artists, even though the tracks already do exist, but everything I would say that's being done in the moment is totally live for what we do. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like they've got this library of notes that they can pull from, but they've got to put those notes in the order and the, in the rhythm. Just like you, you know, you've got access yeah. to an open A and an open E, yeah, but, exactly. but as an artist, you choose when and where to use those and how. And it's, yeah, watching it, watching a DJ mix live, someone who's good at it, is mm -hmm. really, really fun. It's really cool. And, um, I mean, Michael is the guy I work with. Like, we never plan sets beforehand. We never sit down and go, okay, we're going to play this, 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 this. And most, I think, really good DJs won't do that because another skill, which I've also developed to be working with DJs, is you have to read the crowd. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. So if you're on stage looking out at this crowd of thousands of people, you can see from what they're doing, which songs they like, what sound they're into. You can see like their movements. They get more into one style and then they start kind of not dancing or they'll even leave the room with like another song that you play. So you really have to read these people and kind of divine what they want to listen to, which is something they might not even be able to articulate. I think that's one of the absolute coolest parts of doing what I do is it's like, I feel like we're playing the music that people want to hear, but they don't even know they want to hear it. It's really, I mean, it's almost like you have to read these people's minds, body language, psychology comes into play, like reading a room and really getting people into it and having them leave with this experience of like, wow, I just had this most amazing night ever is just a unique skill all on its own. And DJs that are good at that, that's almost like magic. It's a really incredible thing to watch. Yeah, it's almost like you're you're playing your violin, but more importantly, you're playing the crowd. Exactly. And, and especially, you know, at a club where there's multiple rooms, at a festival where there's multiple stages, like people can be a bit ADD at these music festivals. So if there's something cool going on over there, they're going to go over there if your music isn't capturing them. So you like always have to be on. You're not resting at any moment. It's totally intensive. Like you want these people to stay with you like right here for like an hour, two hours, however long. So you have to kind of capture people and hold them right in your bubble. Like you want to listen to this music that's happening right here. So they won't, leave the room or the club and go somewhere else that's you know like a dj that's not as good or a set that's not as good people just leave and they won't really be able to articulate why but you know they weren't kind of in it you know yeah yeah that's awesome um so so you really it it is very much an expression of emotion but you've got to be able to access a lot of different emotions 
in yourself like at the drop of a hat because you're you're trying to you're trying to really capture what it is where the crowd needs you to be rather yeah. than where you yeah. need to be necessarily. enjoy another track this one called blue dust we want to let you know about our other sponsor Dodario. Dodario is a premier manufacturer of strings they gave away several sets of their new octave strings on some earlier episodes of this podcast and now they're registering people to win some sets of zyx strings there's a link in the info section of this podcast so you can register to win if you're active on social media you've seen tons of zyx reviews lately they break in quickly, which is great if you find yourself changing strings on the fly in a gig situation. They're really warm compared to most other synthetic core strings, and they're very stable under extreme climate conditions. Again, in the world of modern music, extreme conditions are the norm, not the exception. Make sure you're using products that are designed for that. Another thing to keep in mind with strings is that you don't ever want to be caught without spares. I carry three E's three A's, and two of everything else in my case, and I've been mighty glad that I did. You can go to orchestral.didario.com to learn more about Zyx and the other string lines from Didario, or you can go to electricviolinshop.com to order your string sets today. Now enjoy a little more music, and back to our interview with Amanda Marks, rock star violinist. Where do you see yourself going in the next five years? What's what's sort of the next thing for you? So right now I actually have um, an unreleased track that's our first original MSVG duo track. I actually did help with the production on this, which is a cool experience as well. Um, so I right now I want to get that released. I'm literally about to push it to a bunch of major labels like today. <laughs> so that's, you know, kind of... A cool thing basically I mean I'd like to be performing traveling all over the world doing bigger and better shows and festivals and gigs I love traveling it's like my favorite thing to do with music so probably just more of the same and bigger and better releasing more music definitely I'd love to do like an EP or an album pretty soon I think just you know I really love what I'm doing right now. So just more of the same of what I'm doing. I don't care about, you know, making it big or being famous or that's kind of, that's stupid because I think that what I'm doing right now is, you know, you're playing gigs to significant numbers of people that are enjoying your music. And that's what, that's what makes me happy. That's what makes me feel like I'm successful as an artist and it's really personally fulfilling to do that. So I just want to keep playing to more and more people so more people can enjoy what I do. Awesome. 
Are you still doing yeah. any busking, or are you so busy with club dates you really don't have no. time? <laughs> no, I actually, um, yeah, I stopped doing that, like, after the first year. I was, like, 18, and it's, like, super dangerous, actually, to be on the strip because there's, like, homeless people, and people are getting in knife fights. I had, like, a bottle of liquor thrown that, like, smashed near my head. Like, it can actually be kind of sketchy, so it was less dangerous to do professional shows but I mean it's a really cool thing that kind of got me started I really loved it they also cracked down on a lot of the street performance in Las Vegas which is really sad um just the police and I don't know I think they thought people were homeless or selling drugs or when it was really just a lot of people trying to share their music which is kind of unfortunate so I hope that can come back there's a lot of really cool characters that I met and people that are really talented that just happen to enjoy sharing their music on the sidewalk. So I hope they can make a return, you know, see kind of where the legislature goes with that. I think, um, I think a lot of buskers actually contacted the ACLU to try to get, you know, their spots back and try to kind of fight the, the police in the city on being able to perform. But yeah, we'll see how that goes. I mean, it's such a time-honored tradition for violinists. It goes back, I mean, way, way back into the to the classical romantic period. That yeah, the, the busking has been a thing for hundreds of years. Um, yeah, what's what's maybe the craziest thing that's ever happened to you on stage? Um, once I was playing at this festival in San Diego, and a guy actually came up next to me, stripped off all of his clothing. He was standing next to me. It was very uncomfortable. <laughs> and everyone in the front is laughing. But also, you know, as an artist, I'm thinking, like, this guy's naked. This is going to creep people out. Everyone's going to leave. And there was, like, a ton of people there. And I was like, what do I do? <laughs> I don't want all these people to leave while we're playing. So I kind of, I stopped. And I turned to the guy and I was like, you know, hey, I think so, you know, maybe you could go strip over there and <laughs> not like right here next to me. And he actually listened and he went and did his thing somewhere else that wasn't in front of everyone. I think everyone felt a lot more comfortable. <laughs> That's probably the weirdest. Yeah. At these festivals, you know, nudity is fine. So people feel free to just get naked, but I've never had someone strip down like right here. So. <laughs> 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 so where's the coolest place that you've played? I know Burning Man was like incredibly awesome, but but around the world, where have you been able to travel to or some cool places you've been? Um, so I played in Costa Rica. I played a couple different times. That was great. I love Costa Rica. I also played Peru. That was a fun one also. Mexico, Canada. One of my favorites was in Amsterdam. This was my first international gig. I was actually just on vacation in Amsterdam, so I heard they have this cool night. It's called Wicked Jazz Sounds. So basically they have a DJ. He's playing kind of funky tracks, like some jazzy stuff, and then they have like five or six musicians that all just get together and play improv jazz with this DJ as like the drumming kind of basis, and then they all just improv over it. It's super cool. They have like live singers. It's amazing. These people are super talented. So I was at the club checking it out, and it was incredible. So then I went up to one of the guys when they were taking a break, and I kind of introduced myself, and I didn't want to be like, 
you know, pushy, like, hey, I want to play with you. <laughs> but I mentioned, you know, what I do and kind of why this was so interesting to me. And the guy actually said, oh, you should come play with us. You know, how long are you going to be here? And we were actually leaving Amsterdam the next day to go travel. I was going to be back in two weeks. So I said, hey, I'm going to be back in two weeks. Can I come play with you guys? So they contacted the, the band leader and the manager, and they said, yeah, come play with you. So I came back, you know, totally different country with all these, like, super professional, talented musicians. And we just did an improv jam the whole night, and that was, like, incredible. People get so into it. Everyone is dancing. Like, every single person is just into it. It's a really special night. So I think that was one of the most cool performances that also happened to be in Amsterdam, which is like one of the best places for electronic music. So that was really awesome. For sure. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Amanda Marks, a.k.a. Violin Girl. We have some awesome interviews coming your way with several conducted by my partner, Shauna Tucker. I can't wait for you to hear these interviews. In the meantime, if you've missed some of the earlier episodes, please go back and check those out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can be alerted when a new episode comes out. Until next time, keep rocking! Keep rocking!